Uh, that's wonderful. If you have your Bibles, then please turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be there in just a second. But by way of introduction, uh, we're continuing our series. We've actually got two more Sundays left in our series on real life. And real life is our vision. We are seeking as a church to see lives transformed in the Okanagan Valley by Jesus Christ. And, and it's described by this acronym, Real Life, R-E-A-L. So we have studied the redeemed life. We've spent four weeks in the empowered life. Uh, we've spent two weeks in the active life. And now we're moving into the listening life. The, the final section as we, as we move to next week will be our final uh, sermon on this series. And I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, sharing with you week by week. And can I say as a church, it's been a really uh, fruitful fall for us. Uh, just this uh, last week, somebody else became a Christian in the community groups. Um, we're making, there's new people coming to community groups, including people who don't regularly go to church. Uh, really blessed by that. We actually have a baptism service on New Year's Day at uh, church in, in, Holly, uh, in um, I nearly said uh, Hollywell then, which is my old town that I used to pastor in, in Rutland. Um, So we have a baptism service. If you want to be baptized, then please, if you could see uh, Pastor Curtis, he would be happy to uh, sign you up and give you some direction as to how that happened. Um, And also, I'm very, very grateful for all the the renovations. A couple of things I want to point out to you just quickly is this incredible piece of artwork that Maureen completed um, you really need to have a good look at it without probably touching it, <laughs> but um, it's amazing. She's been working on this for quite a few weeks now, and, uh, and I know Maureen loves to do things on the cheap, but in a very, very expensive way. Look at that thing. It's amazing, the names of, of Jesus, but she's pulled together all sorts of different uh, lettering and fonts, and, uh, and I know she thoroughly enjoys looking out for things uh, that people just throw away and make art out of it. Isn't that wonderful? So thanks for that, Maureen, and the, yeah, and the, uh, the Christmas decorations. And I hope that you've noticed our amazing couch. Have you seen the new Italian couch that we have out there that the church was given? Um, we've been told that to, to buy that couch would be in excess of $10,000. Um, that's proper Italian, not, not Chinese made by somebody called Roberto. This is... This is actually from Italy. This is actual, genuine Italian couch that somebody gave to us. So, uh, God bless them. Love it. Um, so, today's my anniversary. So, uh, my wedding anniversary, 23 years, 23 years, wedding anniversary. Started well. I need prayer. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Prayer. And how much your pastor needs it. Um, Yes, 23 years we've been married, so it's been, uh, and, and thank you, yes, it's, uh, it's good, it is, it's wonderful. You know, prayer is probably, um, no, I say that back, prayer is the hardest part of the Christian life, I believe. It's something so incredible and so beautiful, and yet it is seen as incredibly difficult and really boring. Something that, uh, you know, we kind of have a, a regular drive-by guilting by uh, by pastor who will encourage you to come and pray or maybe just by your own conviction we know that we we always have this sense of we should be praying more 
And when we get caught up in this, what feels like a vacuum in our life, then there never seems to be any release from it because no matter how much time you spend in prayer, there's always this feeling that we should be spending more. But what's wonderful, and I can stay and stand here and, and pray and, and, and preach and, and talk about prayer, knowing that regardless of where you are, Uh, in your spiritual life, whether you've been a Christian for years and years or a new Christian or somebody who has just kind of come to church and trying to figure things out, there's something profoundly uh, common across humanity where we all have this sense of of something else. There's an otherworldness about our existence that we just know that even if you wouldn't profess to be a Christian or maybe you don't even profess to be particularly spiritual, there is a sense inside every human that there is something more than what we just see here. It's, it, people are drawn to the idea of, of connecting with something other than themselves and other than the society and the culture around them. And so our culture has come up with different answers to this and one that is very popular now that is actually uh, born out of Buddhism and now the, uh, the Americanized Buddhism, which would be called Zen, um, is this idea of mindfulness. And it's very, very popular in our culture, mainly because mindfulness as an idea is not actually based on anything that you need to submit to, i.e. a deity. Any deity. It's the idea of getting connection in and of yourself. It's the ultimate humanistic uh, meditation. It's the let's just relax and be, quote, in the moment. Let's just be, let's just be present. I don't even know what that means. But I don't, wanna, I don't want to uh, make comment about that. I want to speak more about that than I do about Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing about what God says about meditation and prayer. It is not about coming into connection with yourself, as our culture loves, because our culture loves the idea of not submitting to any kind of higher authority. But God says you don't come into connection with yourself through prayer and meditation. You actually come into contact with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. God Himself, the Maker of the universe. Personally, if I compare myself... With that, I know who I'd rather be in connection with. And that is prayer. That's why I can stand here today and encourage every one of you, not by way of guilting you into it, by actually lifting up the beauty of prayer. And in of itself, it is attractive because of what we gain out of it. That today, we can actually have the privilege of connecting with a living, powerful God who's far more present than me, far more beautiful than anything that I can offer in my mindfulness. That's what prayer is. It doesn't work for me to give you that drive-by guilting because prayer actually is something that, uh, that, 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 that draws you in by God himself. And so all I need to do is highlight God, I'm believing this morning, and, and yet prayer is, is a challenge. The disciples themselves, we're going to look at the scripture in Matthew, but in Luke it says that the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Let's be really honest. Would that be number one on the list of things that we ask Jesus to teach us? Lord Jesus, teach me how to pray. Not teach me how to cope with my kids. (laughs) 
Teach me how to, to uh, teach me how to use my money well. Teach me how to be joyful. Teach me how to there was not there wasn't that request. Teach me how to heal. Teach me how to perform miracles. Teach me no no no. Jesus, teach me how to pray. Because I think they recognized in Jesus Christ himself that there was a, a priority of prayer and connection with the Father. And they said, we want that. I want that, Lord. Teach us. How do we, how do we get that? And so in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, Jesus answered. And notice the order in which he answers. The first thing he says, when you pray... You must not be, oh, you can't see, there we go. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and they met so that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. See, number one thing that I want us to notice this morning is that Jesus says that prayer must be sincere. Prayer must be sincere. You see, at this time, and Jesus is pointing out, he says, don't be like the hypocrites who stand around making sure everybody knows that they're praying. They're legalistic and they're pride-filled. Don't be like them. So what Jesus is doing, before we even get on our knees or we close our eyes or we position ourselves physically to start praying, he says, before anything else, I want you to know that the position of your heart is the most important thing. The sincerity of your heart. God is looking for a heart that is genuine and sincere. Friends, this is the most encouraging part of this passage for me because it means this. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how young a Christian you are. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter if you can only grunt because the Bible says that too. God says, come, but be sincere. See, in verse 5, he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners, that they might be seen by others. You see, the word love and stand and street corners tells me that these people wanted to be seen to be spiritual. God's not interested in that. In fact, these people love that more than they love God himself. They love the kudos, the recognition, and we need to be careful not to be spiritual show-offs. And what that looks like in the Christian world is actually quite amusing. Because, and, and, and I don't want you to start thinking of other people, I want you to think about yourself. But those people that we've all met as Christians who just seem to, you know, as one of my favorite authors used to say, they're so spiritual that they, they kind of look at you like they can see right through you. It's like, you know, and, and, and it's like, I, I went to bed at 3 a.m. and got up at 2 a.m. to pray. And I pray through every nation of the world. Because I just feel so connected with God. You know, I, I read the whole Bible uh, yesterday afternoon in 24 hours. The whole thing. Because I just feel so, oh. You know, I'm exaggerating. You know, I have so much faith that I was able to part the water in my own bath this morning. I just want to tell you, but give glory to God. It's all about Him. Thank you, Jesus. 
you know, and I'm exaggerating because I didn't want anybody to go, actually, yeah, I've heard somebody say that. And they're sat right, no, I'm not, I didn't want that at all. But there's just that sense of, of superior spirituality that people, if we're not careful, we can start actually showing off about how spiritual we are. Jesus said, you know, spiritually pride people, they get their reward. And it's not favor from God. God does not incline his heart towards those who are proud. What does the scripture say? He is attracted to the humble. You know, Curtis and I were laughing, you know, I'm so humble, I've got a medal for it, and I'm so humble that, you know, but that humility, I've preached on humility before, emerges from a position of heart. So Jesus, before anything else, says, go into your room, verse 6, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, have we got verse 6, will seize you in secret, will reward you. Friends, before anything else, come as you are. Come as you are. You must be spiritually unassuming. Now, we've talked about the spiritually loud and prideful we can swing over to the so assuming and so mouse like that you're not actually willing to uh to put yourself forward or to or to uh, and you know what it's actually not a swing they're all on the same scale it's still pride it's still pride you see, God says that we are to pray, that you mustn't see yourself as, oh, I could never approach God, because the Bible actually says, no, come. You know, when we, when we exhort you to come to Willow One Prayer, if you're, coming because, if you're not coming because you are fearful or scared about what might happen, let me reassure you that we're all coming with a sincerity of heart, and it doesn't matter if you spend no time at all verbalizing your prayer. The fact that you are positioning yourself with the church around you is what God leans into. To not come because what might people think of me because I'm not able to pray is in itself pride. So let's humble ourselves before the Lord and come to Him. That's the first thing that Jesus wants us to know. The second thing is the motivation to pray. The motivation. So we have a heart position to pray. What is our motivation to pray? You see, the beautiful thing about prayer is you don't need to twist God's arm. You don't need to have long, complicated prayers straight from the, you know, the AV You don't need to take big breaths and then kind of rattle through sentences that feel like there should be whole chapters of books in order to try and convince God to listen to you. Verse 7, it says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. How many of you have ever been in a prayer meeting where, let's be honest, we're family. Been in a prayer meeting because my mum and dad used to make me go to a prayer meeting every Wednesday night from the age of ten, and and I used to, and you'll forgive me, but don't judge me. My heart used to sink when a certain gentleman started to pray because he would pray for ages. Oh, Sarah knows who he is, so I'm not going to say who it is. He was a lovely gentleman, lovely guy, and sincere, 
oh, but like, and I remember once falling asleep in the prayer meeting and waking up. Little did I know that what I'd actually done is put my head on the seat in front of me because we used to sit. We used to, how many of you have been to the prayer meetings where the prayer meetings are on plastic chairs in a circle because the Holy Spirit only comes if you put chairs in a circle? It's a rule. It's in the Bible somewhere in the middle. But, and I, and, but we had them in, in rows and I had my head on top of this plastic chair. But what I didn't realize is when I fell asleep, I woke up and I had this ridge that looked like a scar right across my eyes. Are you okay, Glenn? Did you have an accident? No, it was just a really long prayer. You don't, you don't need to pray long. Again, it's about the heart. It's not about many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I think some of us have this picture of God the Father as somebody who's just reluctantly got his arms closed like some uncle that's mean in the sky. Convince me. You know, if you want something, this prayer better be good. If you want something from me, this prayer better be long. You better use words that you don't normally use. You better be complicated. And then maybe I'll answer. Maybe not. Now, again, I'm exaggerating. But I think deep down inside, I think we do have a sense that that's what Godfather's like. Probably because rooted inside, our parents were like that with us. That's not his heart. If there was one thing I want you, would want you to remember from my sermon, because I know you remember every aspect of my sermon, but the, the very core is that beautiful statement that Jesus says, your Father knows what you need. See, that tells me that my God loves me. He knows me. He cares for me. He knows my needs. He knows me. He cares for you. See, this helps me answer the question, why do I pray? Well, biblically, yes. Number one, we pray because it's a command. We do it, number one, biblically, because the Bible says it's a command. Why do we pray? Because I told you to pray. Number two, yes, we pray because God, in His wisdom, has determined that things happen through prayer. Because that brings Him more glory. You pray, something happens, yay Jesus. That's how it works. It's wonderful. And God has determined to, to work through the prayers of His children. Love that. Number two. So we've got, yes, he, it's a command. Number two. Yes, He's chosen to work through His prayers. But number three, and the list is longer than this, but I want you to know that the number one reason that we come to God the Father to pray, the number one reason that we have Willow One Prayer, we are a praying church. We, we believe in the power of prayer. The why? Because He knows us, He cares for us, and He loves us. That's why we pray. That's our ultimate motivator. But then that scripture also is quite troubling because it says, well, well He already knows what we want. So why, why pray if He already knows what we want? Have you ever thought about that? I think we all have. Why, why pray when, when He already knows? I was struggling with this early on, maybe in my early 20s, and because... You know, we all like to have control. We all like to have this, this idea that there has to be some logic to what we do. It's a Western mindset. It's not an Eastern mindset. It's a Western mindset. Give me a reason why. And, and so the, 
I was thinking and I was journaling and I was reading through this and I was trying to look for a reason why and I prayed and, and, and then I really felt this, this strong sense of, this, uh, of something that then I hadn't experienced but now I've experienced. Of the times when I have, uh, I, one of my little, little ones has, has clambered up onto my knee when they've maybe been to preschool or kindergarten and I've said, what? What did you do at school today? Tell me about your day. Now, I have already got a good idea of what their day looked like. It might be that I actually know in great detail what their day has been like because maybe Sarah told me or their teacher told me or I just know. But the joy of hearing that little one come to me, sit on my knee, look at me in the face and tell me about their day. Is that not one of the best things for a parent to experience? Because it fills our heart as a parent that that child would want to come and talk. Now as they get older and you ask them the same question, you go, I forgot. It was five minutes ago, how can you forget? But when they're small, and what does Jesus say? Come like little children, unless you come like a child. That joy that fills the heart of a parent, that connection and relationship that is created as a child comes and shares their day or their life or their worries or their tears with their mom or their dad, even though the mom or the dad has a much higher knowledge of life, That connection, that joy, if I can feel that as a dad, how much more does God the Father, who knows everything, how much more can God the Father feel that when I come to him as his child and tells him about the day that he already knows all about? Come talk to me. It's this constant invite to pray. And I'm believing that that little story, that little illustration will help some of you to understand that that's the kind of relationship we're talking about in prayer. Friends, do you have that? Do you have that access? Do you have that joy of community and relationship? Not as some God in the sky ready to beat us with a stick because of the things that we've done wrong, but the joy of saying, look, those sins, those things that separate me from you are forgiven through my son Jesus. And because you came to me and you asked for forgiveness and you confessed your sin that I flooded into your life, you now have access. Do you have that? Because that's called Christianity. That's so much more powerful than Zen mindfulness. That's actually a connection and an onement, the Bible says, atonement. A onement with God the Father who says, yes, you've sinned. Yes, you have no right to come to me. I, have, I can have nothing to do with your sin. But because of my son Jesus, because he was willing to die, because he was willing to sacrifice himself on the cross, you can have access. Come, forgive me for putting it this way, friends, but come clamber on my knee. Commune, have an intimacy, a connection in a way that so many people don't have. Friends, you can have that. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you can have that. That's why we celebrate when people come to know Jesus in community groups. Because now they've got that. Remember a few weeks, yes, last week I talked about being lost and found. The, the joy of being found by God the Father who is not, please hear me, is not like your dad. You might have had the best dad in the world. Can I tell you? Got nothing on God the Father. You might have had a horrible dad. 
Well, praise God that God the Father is not like that. He's not some capricious, mean, arrogant, pride-filled, dismissive Father. He says, come. God knows every aspect of our lives, but His Father's heart desires us to share it with Him. That's motivation. That's motivation. And please also don't have an image in your mind of some needy God who's like, well, He didn't pray with me yesterday. Probably doesn't love me very much. He's not like that either. This is a God, the universe, all-powerful. Read some of those names. He says, come. Master, Counselor, Spirit, Savior, Majestic, Comforter, Witness, Messiah, Prince of Peace. Come. Not great. We don't need any motivation to do stuff we really love to do. You know, we want to be there because we understand it brings us joy. Do you have that joy in prayer? You see, as that child intimately connects with their parent, then their intimacy and love for their parent increases. And it's the same with God. That as we come to God, our ability to connect with Him increases. Our trust in Him increases. Our hearts slow down. The peace descends. The frustration and the stress lift. It sounds good. Our outlook changes. Our lives change. We're transformed. The more we understand the God of those names, the more likely we are to pray because suddenly you'll go, and he wants to be with me. He wants to communicate with me. So let's get practical. What should our prayers be like? See, he's already shown us that prayers should be simple and relational, a conversation, if you will. And Imagine coming to your child, coming to you as the parent, and, and suddenly they, they, they start... Well, first of all, imagine what it would feel like if your child comes to you rarely. Only comes to you when they want something. When they do come to you, it's just fleeting. Maybe when you're driving them somewhere. Just in case you think, well, I do pray and it's on the way to work. You know, if you only... If, Put it this way, if the only time you had connection with your son or your daughter or your family member or your loved one was just those few minutes sat in a car every morning, if that was it, how, how is that relationship going to grow? And yet somehow in our culture, we've made it okay just to tag God onto our other activities. If I only tag Sarah onto my other activities, my marriage would be nothing at all. Does that make sense? So let's not, let's not make our relationship with God just something we think about every now and again. Let's prioritize it like we do our other relationships. And also, imagine if I came to Sarah or, or my child comes to me and we start using weird language. Oh, dear earthly father, you who are most worthy of things. Lord, help. You know, if my kid came to me, I'm like, whoa, somebody put something in your drink. What's wrong? Talk to me. Yeah, but, uh, uh, okay. Uh, oh, earthly father. No, no, calm down. Take a breath. Talk to me like you would a normal person. Do you know what? That's what Jesus is saying we can be with God. Not in a reverent way. Because again, if my son Luke came to me and go, uh, all right, uh, so can I borrow the car? Mm, let me think, no. Oh, no, hang on, wait. No. Let me throw some more no at you. Because if he came irreverently and with no honor or no love and no care, so there's a balance. 
He wants us to come on the basis of a loving relationship naturally, boldly, freely, lovingly. Prayer is beautifully simple and yet intensely hard. Not hard because it's hard to do. It's hard because of the way that our world is structured. C.S. Lewis in his, um, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, that I highly recommend you read. It's a fascinating book. The chief demon, the whole book is about how the underworld, the, the, demon, um, will, the demons will do everything they can to keep us away from God. That's what the book is about. And so it's, it's very clever. And, and the, the chief demon is, is basically, he says something really quite fascinating. He says this to his other demons, and I've got the quote, We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. If that was, have we got that quote? If that was ever an example of what our world is like, that's why prayer is hard. Not because it's hard to do, it's hard to get to. Amen? Noise. Noise drowns out prayer. If we're really honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, It's not because prayer is hard. It's not because we don't have a motivation that we don't pray. It's not because we're afraid what people might think if we did come to Willow One. If we're really honest, many times our lack of prayer is because of noise and distractions and busyness. And I'm not even saying that they are bad noise. It's just the reality of what our culture is like. It, prayer is difficult in our world of distractions. And we, we live in a world that just seems to give us so many of them. Mobile devices are constantly pinging or making noise. Or there's always something to be checked on Instagram or Facebook or, or Tinder. If you're checking Tinder, we need to have coffee. Just saying. But there's always something. There's always something. To distract us from prayer. And yet prayer is the most powerful, significant, important, deep, loving, peace-filled activity that any human can take part in. And yet there are times, if I am honest, then we will allow distractions to crowd in and push God and prayer out. And it happens subtly. So yes, we can pray as we go about our day, and we should. We should pray. Have you ever actually chatted with somebody over coffee, and they're going, and you're actually praying for them? Have you ever done that? It's fun. You can actually pray for somebody while they're talking at you. You can actually half kind of listen while, they're praying, while you're praying for them. No, I'm joking. You should listen. But you can pray for them while they're talking. You can pray for people while you're actually chatting with them on the phone. You can pray for people on the phone. There's people in the congregation who do that all the time. I love it. It's great. It should be a natural part of our day, but there should also be a point when we lay everything aside, just like Jesus said, and come and shut the door and pray. So how do we pray? Very quickly. First of all, we pray worshipfully. Worshipfully. Jesus says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Some of you wanted to say hallowed be Thy name. 
<laughs> Especially if you're a Briton and you used to actually, every day you would say this prayer in, ch- in school assemblies in Britain. They might still do it, I don't know. But they, they uh, this is my England corner, that's why, I, that's my reference. Pete's shaking his head, no? They used to, every morning, isn't that wonderful? Like even when I was teaching just a few years ago, we'd start the day with praying the, the Lord's Prayer, the whole school, high school as well. Isn't that incredible? And some would say that school started going down when the prayer was taken out. But that's a whole other sermon. Hallowed be thy name. Don't forget who we're talking to. Come reverently, come boldly. Some of his names, it's Maureen, I can't tell you how, how I didn't want to tell you, but it's just funny that you put that up this morning. Some of Father's names in the Bible, are things that we can pray for. That he is Jehovah Sikenu, the, the Lord is our righteousness. I hope that we have these. Yeah, oh, okay, great, in a big list, that's great. The Lord is our righteousness, that we can pray and say thank you, that when he looks at me, he sees his son Jesus rather than all the sin that used to hold me down, that we can pray that the Lord is our sanctification, Makadesh, he's, he's our sanctification, that I, don't have to, that I don't have to change myself, that he will bring the change. That is a name we can praise him for, that we can... Be praiseful and thankful for the Jehovah Shema that He is there. God, you are close by when it seems like everything is far away. He's there. We can praise Him that He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, that it's going to be okay. That His name, His name itself will bring peace. Not things we can do or see, but God Himself. It's actually entwined in His name. Names are powerful. I've said from this pulpit before that I have, with some disappointment when I was younger, that my name is Glenn, because Glenn means valley. I wanted a name that had significance and power. You know, like I look at names like Gideon, man of valor. Glenn. Valley. You know. But this God, who says, come, my name is Rophe, the Lord, our healer. If you're sick, then I will heal you. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, it's his name. If you're in need this morning, we can come and say, Father, thank you. We position ourselves sincerely, but we position ourselves with thankfulness that everything I'm about to pray has a foundation of that, God, I need some stuff because why? You are Jehovah Jireh. You're the one that provides. You're the one that knows. You're Jehovah Nisai, the Lord, our banner. That literally means that he will fight on our behalf. The Lord Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. He sees, he cares, he watches over us. The list goes on. We come to him, praising him for who he is. We should have the loudest praise and worship in this church. It was lovely to hear your voices this morning. Because what we're doing is we're lifting up his name. We're declaring the joy of the salvation that he has given us. Number two, so first of all, we pray in worship. Number two, we pray in submission. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't get to dictate to God. It's his story. Please hear me. It's his story even when it feels like it's a tragedy. It's his story. Even when we feel like we wish the chapter hadn't been written. When we turn the page of life and we start a new day and we discover something that we really wish wasn't part of his plan. 
But if we believe in a God who controls and believe in a God who knows from beginning to end, which is what the scriptures say, then we also therefore have to believe that God knows everything, even my life, even at the most painful. And there have been very painful times. And I know as I stand before many of you whom I love very, very dearly that are going through and have gone through things where you go, okay, God's story, this, this is not a story. This is like a horror movie. He knows. One of the most significant little statements that helped me when I was going through some rough times a year or so ago and I was off sick was actually a tweet. I wish I could just write like this man tweets. Tim Keller's tweet. Have we got that? I, I hope we got it. it. says, we can be sure. Is it that one? We had a little issue with the slides this morning. We can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered. If we knew everything God knows. We can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. What an amazing statement. And how true. Understanding God's sovereignty and his story is vital. That when you come and pray, understand that the answer will be very simple. Yes. No. Not yet. Because as parents, that's generally what it is. Sometimes we say yes, even we're thinking, no, that's not going to happen. That's not good parenting. Sometimes we say not yet even though we know it's not going to happen. That's not good parenting either. But God says, no, yes, not yet. Why? Because my story, my plan is perfect. And even when you think it should be a yes, it's going to be a no. If we come understanding God's sovereignty, then our prayers and our prayer life will be a thing of joy because we can pray and we can ask and we can, we, can, we can petition and we can cry and we can laugh and we can enjoy that time with God knowing that ultimately He will have His way and that connection that we have with Him as we go through that process will develop and change us. And then finally, He says we pray for needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we've been forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we can pray for our needs, we pray for our income, we pray for our health, we pray for forgiveness. It says, forgive us our debts. And we pray, we bring in confession, we, we pray for strength to resist temptation, we can pray for all those things. But please notice as I finish this sermon where it comes in the prayer. Submit to God first. Highlight Him. Come in sincerity of heart. Come simple. Not with long words. Just come talk. Come ask. He wants to hear from us. You see, as our strongest desire as a church to be uh, one that prays and sees transformation in our community. And the Bible says that that transformation and city change comes as a result of His people praying. So as much as I can exhort last week for us to go and share the gospel with those who need to hear it, if it's not based on a foundation of prayer, 
then it's just empty words. It's just activity. It's legalistic. And yet if we join together, you know, big prayers need, big requests, I should say, need big prayer meetings. It's biblical. You look through Acts, Acts talks about the church gathering together more than it does about individual prayer, which is why we want Willow One Prayer. I'm not saying this to make you feel bad, but I'm saying it to encourage you that, friends, our community, our neighbors, our friends will change on the back of the prayers that this church prays. How do I say that with such surety? Because the God I believe in said so. We start 21 days of prayer in January, and you need to sign up for that. We want to pray for our city. Imagine what this church would look like, what our lives would look like, what our friends and family and neighbors would look like if we prayed more. First and foremost, we would change. I want to finish by sharing a story that I think I might have shared before about something that I I read this some time ago. And... uh, Somebody had been on a journey to, talk, to try and discover a best way to pray. And eventually, and I'm cutting the story short just because of time, but eventually he'd read many books and he'd been to conferences and all sorts of different things. And, and eventually somebody said to him, you know, the best way to pray is, he said, what I do, he said to this man, this gentleman, he said, is I just get a chair. And I sit down on a chair and I get an empty chair in front of me. And I pray like Jesus is sat right there. I just talk share, spend time. And so this man started this habit. Daily he would get a chair and then it became as he got older the same chair. He'd put this chair in front of him and he would just talk. There's nothing weird about that. He's not visual. He's not dodgy new age stuff. Please don't. It's just like for him it was like this helps me. And he prayed. Many years passed and uh, and um, he, this man had gotten very elderly and he was very sick. And so this young pastor had been called to the house to come and pray with this very elderly and now sick gentleman who had had now a lifetime of praying. This was his habit, spending time with Jesus. And when the pastor got there, it was actually too late. The gentleman had passed away. And, but the wife had invited the pastor in and, uh, and they were sitting talking. And the, pastor was, the young pastor was saying, Can, I'm so sorry that I wasn't here. And she said, it was fine. She said, let me tell you how I found him. I found him knelt by the chair with his head on the chair like he died with his lap close to Jesus with his head close to Jesus and I just think that is such a beautiful picture of what prayer should be like just this natural love for spending time with one whom gave so much for us for his love for us so I I really do hope and pray that you'll come to Willow One Prayer tomorrow but more than that I pray that you would make it a priority to spend time with Jesus because he loves you, he cares for you, he knows what you need and then you will become more and more like him as you do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.